Good afternoon. And me and this stand don't have a good relationship, generally speaking. But let's see if we can get on this afternoon. Um, hope you're doing well. Um, my notice that John alluded to whilst he was giving the notices is that um, next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, Easter Day, uh, it, at the four o'clock gathering, so that's the sort of family gathering that's in here, uh, we are going to be resurrecting the ancient tradition of what I believe is called Rhesus Pascalis. Anyone ever heard of that before? Yes, okay, a couple. Which is apparently apparently the Easter laugh. Okay, so uh, we are going to be um, celebrating that Easter is God's great laugh over death. Um, and so we are going to come, uh, those of us who are here at the 4pm, especially those of us who have young ones or, or children, with our best jokes to tell, okay, at the 4pm. So we're going to have a, a little joke off uh, and maybe even a joke-ometer and we're going to laugh ourselves a bit silly um, with God at his great laugh over death. So that's, that's next Sunday at the 4pm. So if you've got kids um, who will be up for that or, be, or maybe you're just a bit of a joke teller yourself, um, then uh, come prepared with your best joke to, to give us a giggle. Um, yeah, I've got one for you here. What did the German police officer say to his belly button? You are under arrest. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, well, great. Anyway, let's pray because we're going to need it. Uh, uh, Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you <laughs> for all that we're going to celebrate next weekend and uh, your great laugh over death. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would come by your spirit. And uh, Lord, would you just enlarge our vision of you uh, right now? Would you, uh, Lord, would you become more truly yourself to us? Would we know you more fully and more deeply and more nearly than we have before? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, great. So, um, this passage that we're reading today is, um, is, is, is awesome. Just If you've got a Bible on your phone or next to you, have it open as we, as we, sort of, uh, uh, as we journey through it. Um, so I'm going I'm to try and point to a few things that, we're, um, yeah, that, that we can sort of learn from in the, in the passage. Um, uh, but the first thing just to say is that um, if you turn to the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, so Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1, Matthew opens his gospel uh, with these words. Uh, he's sort of laying out the genealogy of Jesus, okay? So who Jesus is and uh, how he fits in in the story of God's people and uh, in history. And he, he, he starts with these words. Matthew chapter 1, these are the first words in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. So Matthew opens his gospel, his account of Jesus' life, by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Now, as we've been reading through Matthew, I don't know if you've tracked uh, with us as we've been reading through, but what you find as the gospel sort of unfolds is that the first few chapters are devoted to the, uh, the sort of nativity story or, um, that we know, at Christmas, that we remember at Christmas. So Jesus' uh, birth and what happened to him around his birth, the kind of story of Mary and Joseph and the Magi visiting and that kind of thing. And once you get to chapter four, chapter three or chapter four, Jesus, the adult, enters the picture. So we get the sort of 30-year-old-ish Jesus who enters the scene. And we're told that Jesus is baptized by John, his cousin, in the River Jordan, John the Baptist. And then he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted 
uh, for a little while. And, uh, and then he comes back and he begins his ministry with the words, the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus, uh, sort of as, as, um, as he unpacks his ministry, the next chapters of Matthew tell us how Jesus taught what the kingdom of God was like. Okay, so we get the things like the Beatitudes, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, those kind of things. John spoke on that earlier on in the term. And then we get the, where uh, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer as well. Joe spoke on that one, I think, our Father in heaven, how, how do we pray in the way of the kingdom? And after those chapters, in, when, once you get to chapter 8, you start seeing that Jesus starts to demonstrate what the kingdom is like. So, um, so as, as, um, as his sort of teaching, or he's continually teaching, but as his teaching sort of takes a turn, you start to see all these, uh, all these other things start to happen as he explains and demonstrates what the kingdom is like. So there are lepers who are healed, raging storms that are silenced in a word from Jesus' mouth. Paralyzed people are getting up and walking. Dead people are, rise, are rising from the dead. Uh, 5,000 people are being fed with a lunchbox. Jesus is demonstrating this is what the kingdom of God is like. There's even a moment where Jesus is transfigured on a mountain where, where Moses and Elijah come and talk to Jesus. And all in that, uh, in that series of um, of. of of sort of happenings, of things that have been happening, Jesus hasn't yet claimed for himself the title that Matthew gives him in the opening line of his gospel, the Messiah, the son of David. People have tried to pin it on him and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Jesus, you're the Messiah. But in public, he's shied away from accepting that title because he knows once he accepts that title publicly, things are going to shift a gear. And then we get to the moment in, in Matthew chapter 20, just before this passage, where Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem and two blind men start calling out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a crowd around them, if you read it in chapter, in chapter 20, there's a crowd around them, the crowd around, the crowd around these blind men tell them to hush. They're like, he's not interested in you. But yet they shout all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's in this moment that Jesus finally, finally accepts publicly this title that Matthew gives him at the beginning of his gospel. Where Jesus says, yes, that is me. I am the son of David. I am the Messiah. Isaiah, in, in his prophecy, says this. We remember this at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Do you remember? Some of you will know these words. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. He will reign on David's throne and and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. These two blind men cry out on the road, Jesus, son of David, that prophecy from Isaiah is you. We know it's you. You are the son of David who'll sit on David's throne. And Jesus publicly says, yes. And he turns to these men, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? 
finally, publicly, he accepts this, chat, this, this sort of name. He, he signs his name next to the claim that he is the Messiah, the king of the kingdom and the king of the cosmos. The king of the kingdom and the king of the cosmos. And Jesus puts his name next to it. And then what we see happen in the, in the verse that um, Lucy read for us, in, in, in uh, verse 8, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, as we've just celebrated in the prayers. And uh, the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. The crowds have got the message too. The crowds around Jesus are pointing the same thing out that these men, these blind men could see, even though they couldn't physically see on the road to Jerusalem, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Some of the Gospels, um, this, this story is in all of the Gospels, some of them record, record the, the crowd as saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So there's this kingly aspect to what they're saying and who they're saying Jesus is as he's walking into the, uh, into the city of Jerusalem. The palms um, are, are like, there's a, like a, a prophetic word about the, the, the palms or the branches in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 50, 55, uh, where he's, he writes, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and hills will burst into song before you. I think there's a song that goes, am I right? Is this a song? I won't sing it for you. You wouldn't like that. Uh, and, and it says, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. There's this prophetic statement again of who Jesus is, the king of the kingdom. Even in, in, uh, in verse 13 of what we've just read, Jesus goes into the temple and he says, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer. All of a sudden, Jesus is letting people point to him as the Messiah and he's stepping into that name, the son of David, who sits on David's throne. And so this is the moment where as Jesus comes into Jerusalem where he's going to start to force the issue, where he's going to publicly acknowledge who he is. And as he does that, essentially what he's saying to people all around in Jerusalem, he's saying, either crown me or kill me. Those are the two options that they've got with Jesus once he puts his name next to that claim. Once Jesus says he's the Messiah, that this is his house, that he's the son of David, that he's the one who's been prophesied about, that he's the king of the kingdom, that he's the king of the cosmos. Once Jesus puts his name next to that, that statement, then they've got to do something with it. They've either got to kill him or they've got to crown him. So let's just notice a few things uh, about the passage um, that I, I've loved pouring over this this week and, uh, and unpacking it. And I, what, I've, what I've come to realize is, um, and I'm, I'm sure as you read it too, it, it might jump out to you as well. The way that Jesus comes into Jerusalem is really similar to the way that he comes to each of us individually into our lives. The way he approaches, the king of the kingdom approaches Jerusalem is just like the way he approaches me and you, okay, and we'll, we'll just unpack three things that I see as, uh, as Jesus do, approaches Jerusalem. First things first, when Jesus comes into your life as king, he comes humbly and gently and in peace. When Jesus comes into our lives, he comes humbly and gently and in peace. It's the same way that he came to the earth. 
You know, we remember that at Christmas time, don't we? About the Son of God being born as a baby, laid in a manger in a stable. The humility, the gentleness, the fragility of the way that Jesus comes is the same here again. Jesus enters Jerusalem and he enters our lives with gentleness, with humility, softly and in peace. He's not come in force as some kind of conquering general riding a horse, wielding a sword, saying, I'm taking this as my own. That's how people thought the Messiah might come. But Jesus has come very differently. He's come as a king, but he's come as a servant. This is upside down element to the kingdom, as John was talking about a minute ago. It's like he's not trying as the way he comes in. He's not trying to defeat you or me. He's trying to woo us in the way that he comes to us, the way that he comes to Jerusalem. And then we get these lines from the prophecy from, the, the prophecy from Zechariah um, that, that say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you look back over in, in Zechariah chapter 9 where that prophecy comes from and you, you sort of like unpack a bit wider around the, um, the, the words there. This is what it says uh, from, uh, from chapter, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. There's an aspect of celebration, which is what's happening around Jesus. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then in verse 10, it goes on to, to sort of highlight this aspect of peace, that seems to be in every part of the way that Jesus enters into Jerusalem and into our lives. This peace, this prince of peace. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. This is a prophecy here that's not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. That's what they're celebrating in this moment. That's, that's who this king is. He's going to bring peace to the nations he will extend from the sea, from sea to his rule will extend from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. And I love the way that you get from this passage that it's like your king comes to you, your king comes to you. I don't know about you, but when I have conversations with people about faith and Christianity and um, exploring the Christian faith or or, um, or trying to understand more about Jesus, sometimes the way that people talk to you about their journey or their experience is like they're searching for Jesus, but he's hiding from them. You know, like, I'm on a search. I'm on a, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find Jesus. You know, I'm looking for him here. I'm looking for him there. I'm looking for him over here. There's kind of this search and this exploration. Or sometimes people feel like they've, they've got to do things in order to connect with Jesus, to kind of jump through the hoops of holiness you know, in order to make themselves a better person. And then they might find that they can meet with Jesus and understand what the Christian faith is all about. And this, this way that Jesus comes to Jerusalem and the way that Jesus comes to us, he comes to us. He didn't say, you've got to come and find me. He comes to us and he finds us. And I love that. There's a passage in Revelation 3.20 which says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And this moment is like Jesus stood at the door of Jerusalem, stood at the door of our lives. He's come gently, he's come softly, he's come in peace and he's knocking 
on the door of our lives. And he's knocking on the door of Jerusalem. Here I stand. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. When um, this term, we've been running the Alpha course um, uh, 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 just down the road at Sid- in Sidwell Street. And it's been amazing to do the Alpha course with loads of different people um, and uh, go on the, on the sort of like journey together of understanding a bit more about the Christian faith. Um, but one of the moments that we have on the Alpha course is this sort of like Holy Spirit weekend. Anyone ever been on one of those? A Holy Spirit, yeah, a few people or like a Holy Spirit evening. And um, uh, we had an evening where we did, uh, we looked at a few different talks about the Holy Spirit. And then we prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, I don't know about you, what your experience is, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit or, um, uh, or, the, or that's a regular thing for you or, it's ne- or, or maybe it's not happened, you know, this might be your first, first time in church in case, if that is the case, you're so welcome and we'd love to pray with you. Um, but overwhelmingly, people's experience on that evening of being filled with the Holy Spirit was a sense that as they asked the presence of God into their lives by the power of the Spirit, they felt an overwhelming sense of peace. Almost everyone that you spoke to on that night, some, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, it's different, isn't it? There's a, there's a difference, uh, you know, and for everyone it's, it's slightly different. But overwhelmingly, the stories of that night, when we pray for people to experience God, it was a sense of incredible heavenly peace that they experienced. When Jesus comes into our lives, he comes gently. He comes softly, comes in peace. All right, the second thing that we notice from this passage is when Jesus comes into our lives as king, he comes to make things right between us and God. Notice what happens when uh, when Jesus goes into the temple courts, it says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So what do we see here? What, what do we see as Jesus comes into Jerusalem gently and humbly on a donkey? What do we see next? It's, he goes to the place of power. Well, we might think that would be the government or the, you know, like, but he goes to the place of power. He goes to the heart of Jerusalem, the temple. And what does he do there? He addresses the issues that are separating people from God in the heart of Jerusalem. He moves out the things that are, are corrupting their worship. There's, um, you know, when, when he points to these things here, uh, the money changes and the benches of those selling doves, it, it was becoming like a marketplace, the temple, in order that people might worship, particularly people who weren't part of the Jewish community, having to exchange money and buy animals and this and that and all the things that were going on. And Jesus clears it all out. He clears it all out. And then the next thing that happens is he starts to pray for those who are uh, blind and those who are lame. He comes humbly and gently, but he comes with the power to change people's lives. He comes with the power to put things right that are getting in the way of their worship. And so that's the thing, when Jesus takes the throne in our lives, when the king of the kingdom takes his place, the chaos starts to be put right. The chaos starts to be ordered. 
the injustices in our lives get put right. The brokenness begins to find healing in his presence. That's what happens when Jesus, the king, is the king of our lives. It's not just like a nice idea, the kingdom, but when the king of the kingdom is in place, then the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom, starts to take root in our lives. I've spoken a bit about Alpha um, uh, today already, but I wanted to show you just a a little clip of uh, one of the videos that we showed at Alpha, um, because I I think this man uh, who we hear about, his name's Sean, uh, experiences what it's like to let the king of the kingdom become king and to have things reordered, to have a life healed. I mean, we've all, I'm sure lots of us experienced that, but watch, watch this video and, um, and this, this man's story. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burglar houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves, really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist. And I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out, I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got to prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then... As I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because st- you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. 
but they were the first. That's how God works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got five kids and they're my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad. Have a life, they're beautiful. Um, and my life, and this probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever you'll ever give me. Um, Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. Isn't that an amazing story of what happens when Jesus comes humbly and gently and yet he comes to clear out what's separating us from living in the fullness of God's presence and being who he's made us to be. And that man just, yeah, just shows it. And the last thing I just want to say is that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he comes humbly and he gently, he comes to clear out what's wrong and make a way for people to be restored, but he comes to save. That's what he's come to do. He's come to save people. You know, when, when, the, when the crowds are saying to him, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna means save now, save now. They're crying out to Jesus, the king of the kingdom, to be saved. They're pointing to him as the one who can do the saving. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, there's an acknowledgement that he has come to save us, to save his people. And that's what Jesus has come to do for each one of us as well, isn't it? Not just to make a way, to clear things out, to, to move things around in our lives that we might be ordered in a way which allows us to connect with God, but to actually do the saving that we couldn't do for ourselves. In, in that video, um, Shane points to this verse in, in Isaiah. As Isaiah 53, he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Before that, it says, surely Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to save. That's what he came to do. He came to make a way where we didn't have a way back to God. He came to give us one. As the king of the kingdom, that was going to be his enthronement on the cross, making a way for us to have a relationship with God. So maybe you're here tonight and Jesus, you don't even know who Jesus is. I don't know how many of us will be in that place. Maybe you don't know if Jesus is the king of your life tonight. Well, I've given you three reasons why it would be a great decision today to make Jesus the king of your life. To say to him, Jesus, I want to be, I want you to be the king of my life. And we'd love to pray with you. If that's you, I'd love to pray a prayer with you uh, in a few minutes. But there might be a few of us here today, and, uh, and Jesus is already the king of our lives. But it's always a good thing, isn't it, in these moments every year, just to ask the question again, Jesus, are you, are you the king of my life? How's that, how's that playing out 
in my daily life with you as the king? Are you calling the shots? Am I following your words, your decrees? Am I living in your kingdom, in the fullness of your kingdom? Maybe as you think about it, John was getting us to pray in the worship earlier, but maybe as you were thinking about it, you, you, can, you can put your finger on areas of your life where there's like, oh, maybe, maybe God, you're not king in that area of my life right now. Maybe there's a mismatch to the way that I'm, I'm trying to live my life. Maybe you can feel Jesus stood at that door of your life knocking, saying, will you open up? Will you let me in? Can I be king of this life, of this area of your life too? Because one of the problems that we see in us and in scripture is that we as human beings are really good at making God king and then running in the other direction after a little while once it gets comfortable. It's, the, it's in our history as the people of God. We make God king, we make him God, we worship him, and then we get distracted by other things. So it's good just to come back to a question again, to a moment where you say, have I got distracted anywhere in my life? To invite the Holy Spirit to say, into you, into your life afresh, and to say, come, speak to me, Holy Spirit, if there are areas in my life where I'm distracted, where you're not king. So why don't we do that? Uh, why don't we do that now? We can ask the Holy Spirit just to meet with us as well. So do you, do you want to stand if you're able? We've got a couple of minutes before we need to, to go and collect the children. So um, why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit to, to come and, and we'll ask that question for each one of us and just give the Lord a moment to speak to our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we, Lord, we ask that you would come and, and move in our midst now. King Jesus, we ask that you would come and speak to us, your people. And would you reveal if there are areas in our lives where you are not king and where you should be. And we offer ourselves to you now. Come and speak to our hearts. Search us, O oh God. Just as the Lord prompts, there'll be things, maybe things that come up for, for you. Just as, as if the Lord does highlight areas of your life, just, just encourage you. One response just to say to him in your heart is just to say, Lord, just bring this before you. And, and just to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, save now in this area.